Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Left of Straight Show with your host, Scott Fullerton, as we discuss everything under the rainbow sun, from LGBT issues to foodies, entertainment to books. Join us as we talk to some of the most interesting leaders and celebrity LGBT guests and allies on the internet. So grab a cocktail, it's always happy hour somewhere, and enjoy the show. Now, here's your host, Scott Fullerton. Well, howdy, 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 everybody. Welcome to the Left of Straight Show. We are on day two. It's Tuesday, July 21st, 2020. I am your host, Scott Fullerton, and running the studio today is my fantastic intern, Han. She'll be joining us in just a couple of moments here. Last night was Music Monday, and we had a fantastic group of people in. Zach Day was back for our Monday Musical Minute. You know, Zach is our special correspondent. He was on The Voice this year on John Legend's team, and he's out in Nashville. He had that COVID-19 bug and was down and out for about two weeks. Feeling a little better, went back to work this week and called in last night. We had a good chat with him. He gave us a couple of great artists to look out for. And then we had artist Kisos on for the very first time. Has an amazing album, EP, I guess, all about the five stages of grief with some amazing songs on it that we talked about. And then from California, we had Rhett Madison on. She grew up not too far from me in West Virginia. And she just has an amazing voice, indie artist. And the best laugh. So if you missed our Music Monday, be sure to check out the archives and find that. It's a great show. Tonight, just a couple of minutes, we're going to have our special entertainment correspondent, David Reddish, calling in. It's his first time back as an entertainment editor. He is the entertainment editor of a Queerty uh, website and has knows everything about going on entertainment-wise. Then my first interview today is with our good buddy, Stan Zimmerman, of course, the writer of The Gilmore Girls and The Golden Girls, Roseanne, the very Brady Bunch movies. He has done it all. And then we're going to wrap it up tonight with Harry Lopez, an amazing success coach, entrepreneur. He's worked with so many Latinx businesses, getting that started, and just such a great motivator. So it's going to be a good show tonight. Han, how are you doing? Everything going good for you? Yeah, everything's been pretty good. It's, uh, it's been a long week. Long week already. I know how that goes. When it's a long week on a Tuesday, we know we're in big trouble, right? <laughs> yeah. How's everything in beautiful Wyoming? Is it hot, hot there? I mean, it's killer hot and humid here in Ohio. Actually, uh, since our climate typically is pretty dry and where I live in Wyoming, it's up in the mountains. It's actually fairly decent weather. Oh, well, that's good. Glad to hear it. And what are you doing uh, this week summer-wise? Are you finding anything to do and go out? Are you still pretty much open in Wyoming to do whatever you want? Uh, We 
have pretty loose laws when it comes to the quarantine other than just wear a mask everywhere you go. So I sometimes go out and I'll walk my dogs or go over to like local parks and stuff like that and just do some art. Oh, there you go. Very, very cool. Any news or any hot buttons hitting your uh, fancy this week? Uh, there hasn't been a whole lot going on. I've uh, just been hearing about all of the protesting that's been going on in areas kind of surrounding me, not necessarily here in Wyoming, but down in like Denver uh, and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. All that stuff going on. Crazy stuff. Well, I appreciate you coming on and thanks so much for running the board. We're going to go ahead and bring David in now. Of course, David Reddish has been on the show before as a special guest. He's the entertainment editor at Queerty, one of my favorite news sites that kind of keeps me in the loop of what's all happening out there entertainment-wise and with our LGBTQ community. Uh, he's going to be our special correspondent every other Tuesday, and we are damn lucky to have him. So please welcome to the show Mr. David Reddish. David, how you doing, buddy? Hey, Scott. I'm doing all right. How are you? I am okay. How is your day going? There's about 18,000 articles on Queerty today. You're a busy boy. There are. Yeah, today was a really, really busy day. Um, lots of breaking news. And then I was in a junket all afternoon for a new Netflix series. Um, the show is called Away, and it stars Hilary Swank. So I finally got to chat with her, which was wonderful. Nice. Is that one of those video ones? Because you've been killing it with some video shows, some of my favorite <laughs> people, and the politician. Oh, thank and- you. Man, you had Patty Lapone on. I just want to play pinball in her basement. That's all I want, David. Don't ask for much. <laughs> she was wonderful. And yes, it was a video junket. So I'm excited for everyone to see it. That's exciting. Well, what else is happening in beautiful downtown LA? How have you been holding up with round two of uh, COVID quarantine? Well, I mean, it, I'm losing my mind. So it's fortunate that we have breaking news in the business. Um, I don't know <laughs> if you saw the headlines today. There are two big stories, uh, one being that the United States has finally condemned uh, and sanctioned Chechnya over the gay purges that are going on there. I'm sure you and your listeners are aware. Of course, and I'm excited that it it took this long. I mean, we had that. European whatever guy was that was supposed to be Trump's guy to make sure everyone's doing their LGBT <laughs> right, but that didn't yeah. work out so well, did it? <laughs> no, and, and he was involved in some some weird tweet storm this week also. Um, he he oh does not represent the LGBTQ community, so so fine, there you have it. No. Uh, the other big story today, Netflix uh, nixed an entire television series uh, that was set to shoot in Turkey uh, over the inclusion of a gay character. So to set this up for you, the show was called If Only, and it used several high-profile uh, Turkish actors. This was only the second show that Netflix was going to do in Turkey. They would had another that was a big success for them. Uh, but this show was going to include a gay character, and the government of Turkey said you have to remove this character. You absolutely cannot do this. In Turkey, you can't shoot here if you're going to include a gay character. So network, uh, Netflix just pulled the plug on the whole thing and said, we're not bowing to your censorship. Yeah, I kind of like that. I mean, it's, it's – I don't know the logistics of it. Why? I mean, I'm sure with the characters, it's important to do it in Turkey. I'd love to know the logistics, why they picked that. And I'm glad they're standing up to that anti-LGBT bigotry there. I mean, it was a big thing. Yeah. It was an eight-part series. That's a lot of income for them and everything to do. 
So they with took with down the quite Netflix a bit budget. Oh yeah. A- absolutely. Yeah. And it's really unfortunate that the local crew and actors that would be benefiting from this are going to lose the work now, but at the same time Netflix were to bow to the demands of the Turkish government, that's a terrible precedent, not just for them, but for any other, you know, any other studio that comes in and says, we want to do something and we favor artistic integrity, whether you're comfortable with it or not. So. Right. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Cause that's all they could have. If yeah. they would have removed the character and kept the series, that would have set a horrible precedent. Exactly. Just what you're saying there. So I'm glad. Yeah. And what kind of, you know, what kind thing, of, smart. Yeah, what what kind of message would that send? You, you know, people in the U.S. Oh, we're going to drop the gay character because the money is more important than the gays. I mean, what what the hell kind of attitude is that? So right, uh, exactly. Yeah, so it's a tough call and it's really unfortunate, but uh, I think Netflix did the right thing. So. Well, it's important. I mean, we're we're fighting hard for our rights here in the U.S., but we need to be aware of these world stories as well because it's not just as we're learning anything from black lives matter it's not just about us anymore it's about every community and every location that we need to stand united to change right absolutely absolutely ours is a global movement so exactly well what else going on with you man anything else on your hot button are you excited about or anything you're pissed off about well excited and pissed Yes, in fact, at the same time, uh, well, you might ask. So when I get done uh, with the show with you tonight, I am going to jump on a video panel. Uh, this, was, this week was supposed to be the San Diego Comic Con, as you may or may not have known. Uh, right. And it was canceled due to the coronavirus pandemic, uh, which is a huge, huge bummer because it's the first time it's been canceled in something like 51 years. I mean, it's, 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 it's awful. And this is the first one I've missed in 17 years. So uh, I was very much looking forward to it because I was invited to speak on a panel about LGBTQ diversity in television, comics, and video games. Uh, oh, man. As a resident entertainment journalist, I was looking forward to this. It was going to be my first panel. I was so bummed when Comic-Con got canceled. But Comic-Con is going virtual, so everybody that was supposed to do a panel can now do a panel online, and they will all go up this week. Um uh, so I'm I'm excited to join the panel and talk about what's going on in TV and comics and games in terms of the queers. Good on you, dude. That's pretty awesome. Well, you've been doing yeah. – I mean, we talked in our interview, and like I said, if you guys missed my interview with David, check out the archives because you have written your own pretty successful books on uh, – comic. <laughs> you've been to Comic-Con forever. So, yeah, yeah. that's kind of a big deal to be able to do your first official – panel leading that's exciting i know people it's funny a friend of mine was asking me how this could possibly be the first one and i I don't know but i'm happy to do it Uh, i'm excited (laughs) to talk about what's going on in terms of diversity in tv uh so uh yeah uh very much looking forward to that that'll be available um later in the week actually comic-con was officially meant to kick off on thursday so the panels will start going live then yeah Nice. Uh, Well, it's important, too. I mean, I'm sure you know that people, obviously, but people that don't go to Comic-Con, what they don't know is usually there's so many people that go to these things that unless you go, it's really hard to go because they always let the people that have been there before go first, right? So I was wondering how it was going to be like with this this year kind of not being there, how they're going to arrange for people to go in the upcoming next year. 
I mean, well, I'm, I think they're probably just going to pick up from last year, you know, next year uh, and right. jump ahead. It's not, it's not entirely correct to say that the people who have been before get to go first or they, they get president. That's not totally true um, because they do have a way that you can sign up to register if you're at the, com- you know, for the following year's Comic-Con if you're there. But there's okay. a limited number of spots for that. So um, many people have to reapply and get their badge every year, which is a nightmare. It's, you know, because everybody wants to be there now. Uh, And I'm not going to lie. I miss it. I mean, it is a wild, wild, crazy, um, enriching, wonderful, dangerous place to be. Uh, Everybody's (laughs) just so intense. And it's this celebration of love. And, uh, yeah, I've been getting – getting lots of sympathy notes all week that I'm not sitting at a bar with somebody talking about the meaning of life is, you know, we determined from Batman or something. So, uh, or I, Star Wars. Well, I haven't got to be that off. My brother goes every year. He is a huge fan oh, of really? it. And in fact, one year he didn't, he wasn't able to go one year. So luckily he's friends with a lot of people in the business. And so he knows Burt Ward, <laughs> Robin. Oh, yeah. So he asked, he asked Robin to be on a panel just so we could get on a panel last minute so we could go one year. And so he moderated a panel with Burt Ward just so we can get in. So he, he's pretty That's crafty. Fantastic. I liked it. That's <laughs> smart, yeah. Um, exactly. It's a wild time. Yeah. Uh, well, cool. Anything else on the hot button before we have to jump off here in a couple of minutes? Oh, gosh. What do I have coming up that I can, I can tease for you guys? Well, I have a big interview coming up tomorrow. Uh, with Tim Spencer. He's the creator of a new Australian queer-themed sitcom called Ding Dong, I'm Gay. Uh, That goes up on YouTube tomorrow, uh, the first season of it, full season. Uh, It's a very, very funny show, and he was a charming man to chat with. Uh, And then um, next week, I have an interview with the author Byron Lane. Byron, um, this is his first novel. It's called A Star is Bored. But you maybe know his work. He had a web series called Last Will and Testicle that he wrote and starred in about his battle with testicular cancer. Uh, And he also wrote the play Tilda Swinton Answers an Ad on Craigslist, which has a big online following. There are various videos of it you can find on YouTube. Um, Byron was assistant to Carrie Fisher, uh, the late, great Carrie Fisher. And so he has written a novel that is inspired by his time working for her. Uh, I've read it. It's a sensational debut novel, and uh, I have a big interview with Byron where he spills some of the truth about Carrie, some of the truth about the inspiration of the novel, and uh, yeah, where truth and fiction meet. So That is exciting. Thanks for that little preview. That'll be very cool. Yeah. I'm excited very to have excited. you aboard, my friend. I don't know how you have the time between <laughs> all your editor duties there at Queerty and uh, doing – all your exciting other stuff that you do, creating clothing and so much other stuff. But uh, I guess with pandemic, what the heck? You have a little time, right? <laughs> yeah, I suppose so. Uh, but, you know, everybody's got to have a hobby in addition to their hobbies and career. So uh, I'm happy to join you. It's, it's always a pleasure. Well, it's amazing. You are a fantastic special correspondent. We will see you every other Tuesday. Let everyone know where they can find you on social media, just in case they want to give a follow. Absolutely. You can find me on Twitter or Instagram at the gay Magneto, all one word. Uh, or you can find my work at queerty.com. And plug those two books real quick too, because you got some amazing books. 
Sure. Uh, the Sex, Drugs, and Superheroes series. Uh, the titles are Sex, Drugs, and Superheroes. And the second title is The Conquest of the Planet of the Geeks. These are Comic-Con-centric, so if you're wishing you could be at Comic-Con this week or any other week, go ahead and order them. It's the closest thing you can do to actually, you know, without actually being there. The closest you can be at Comic-Con without actually being there. There you go. Well, enjoy your panel tonight, my friend. I'm excited for you. Stay on the line. Guys, we're going to play a little song here, a little David Hernandez from American Idol with Coat of Armor. When I come back, we're going to be talking to my buddy, one of our most frequent guests here on the Left and Straight Show, the one, the only, Mr. Stan Zimmerman. All right, here's a little David Hernandez, Coat of Armor. We'll see you on the other side. Oh 
good buddy david hernandez of american idol guys you know i love whenever my next guest comes on the show he is in a tug of war with del shores for being the most times guesting on the show they were supposed to be having it out in palm springs a little competition oh i think we should have a big a big mud wrestling uh competition see who wins we're gonna have to find another way stan that is horrible I'm feeling a little <laughs> bit a guilty thought, for isn't it? The ears burning because but... you know I mentioned Stan on like every episode of the show it seems, and uh, I'm excited to have you on, my friend. How you doing? Well, thank you for having me back. I love being here, and I'm, you know, hanging in there and uh, you know weaving, and as everything gets thrown at you and all this crazy news, and every day is different, but um, you know you got to keep a positive attitude and keep going. There you go. We do indeed. And speaking of weaving and bobbing, I uh, Stan and I were playing with each other on social media a bit today, and Stan always gives me some. Stan knows anyone who's anybody, right? And so I basically, yeah, I'm a gay of, Kevin Bacon. Yes, you are, but you're only one degree. He's six. You're about one degree. <laughs> yes. But usually, when Stan comes on, I get some kind of a fun story of something that I don't know, some like deep dish and. Usually uh, off air, occasionally on air. So um, we had, I told him on social, I said, you need to get yourself liquored up today so I can get a secret on air. And your good friend, Tammy, Tammy Harrison, uh, complied immediately. And you got a bottle of what? She was on it. So <laughs> I jokingly said on, um, I think it was Facebook, that, uh, yes, a bottle of Ciroc would do it. And what do you know? Uh, a bottle of Ciroc appeared at my door, and uh, I do like that uh, vodka because it is made with grapes, so I figured that it's very healthy for you because it's not made with potatoes. You know, gays don't do the carb <laughs> thing. So. Right, right. <laughs> so it is very I, – I, they should send it to me because I'm such a good sponsor for it, but it's a very clean, beautiful vodka, and obviously people that know me 
think that for some reason if I have a sip or two, I'm going to spill the beans about something. But um, we'll we'll have to see about that. But we love Tammy. I met her on the Golden Fans at Sea uh, cruises. I did two back-to-back in February and March before all the craziness happened. And Tammy, so it's a Golden Girls fan cruise. And we went out of Miami, and we went to Key West and um, Cozumel. And but Tammy was such a is such a fantastic person. She even sent me a Golden Girls themed uh, mask to wear, and she bedazzled it. So you know, when I, I go to the store, I just I, I sparkle wherever I go. And there's I a Valley, love it. There's a Valley of the Dolls reference for you folks. Tammy is my kind of fan. But you, you I mean, need to know I, I talk on social to... media besides just being friends, and you get boxes of stuff all the time from people. I mean, you <laughs> just put it out there in the world, and things appear on your doorstep. How do you, you know do that? what? I, I don't have children, but I have a lovely family of actors that I've worked with in my plays and my TV shows and my web series um, and my students that I teach, and I feel so loved and supported and and. They're just, I, I have really a great support group around me that have kept me feeling safe and loved during this, you know, some very difficult times. And um, I did test positive with antibodies after coming back from New York in, in March. And it was, you know, a little, luckily I didn't get too sick, but it was, um, uh, you know, some scary days in March when nobody knew what was happening. You couldn't go to the doctors. I could, right. I could still smell and eat so i just kept eating so now i'm running every day to uh you know get that off uh not not that we'll be able to touch anybody or, or date ever again but um just in case yeah, right just in there case yeah. well yeah we had you on like right after you were you were whisked back to la when you were working with uh Nathan Nathan Graham was that it who you worked with at the time and all sorts Nathan of stuff Graham, going on. Yeah, so he had commissioned a play that we wrote for him called Nat Queen Cole, and he creates this wonderful character in drag who's the illegitimate child of uh, Nat King Cole and Josephine Baker. And if you don't know Nathan Lee Graham, look him up, Google him. He it's a tour de force, and we gave him these medleys, and he sings, and he's hysterical, and he's wonderful, and uh, you know, we were hoping to do the show. We don't know when and where, but we will because the world needs needs to laugh and experience uh, the brilliance that he is. And I, I you know, that, that's giving me hope to uh, keep moving forward. There you go. Yeah, we need to support our, especially our New York actors with Broadway, especially being closed down all the way for sure. I was Until there that January. day. I'll never forget. I was in rehearsal, and it was it was pure joy. It's it's my dream, and I would love to move back to New York, you know, where I went to NYU and studied drama. And there I was, and I had a little apartment in Hell's Kitchen, and walking to rehearsals every day. And I met my uh, friend Stacy, and at um, Sardi's, and she comes in, and her face is ashen, and she says, "Broadway is just shut down." And um, mm. it was, you know, very scary to be there. And I, I, I feel so bad for all my friends that are in, you know, that were in shows there because they're not going to work until next year. Well, it's really tough, especially for the ones that that's all they've done. I mean, I had on uh, Mark Evans, who's an amazing actor, 
but he's been acting since he was 16 years old, right? And so, I mean, he's done the occasional waiter job, whatever, but those are closed down too, pretty much. Yes. And he he was originating a role on Mrs. Doubtfire. He got on to his first um, rehearsal, or not, first preview uh, on stage, and they closed it down that next night, like when you were there. That's and so exactly now Broadway's closed. So then he was originating a role in a brand new musical. He's getting his real estate license because there's nothing else he can do. Restaurants are closed. That's all he's ever done is act. You and know, a lot of people sad. are saying, move to New York now. You can get an apartment. And it's very tempting. Uh, I, You know, that's, it's been really difficult. I had four productions in the spring that were all postponed or canceled. My life, right. I'm still doing some TV things, but... Um, I've been really focused on theater and loving the live uh, element of that. And to have that just completely shut down has been horrible. But luckily, I've been able to move a few of my projects forward and had a bunch of readings. I have a new play I wrote. We had a, just an initial reading on, on, uh, on Zoom for just friends. And then we did a big reading with Coachella Valley Rep of my play Meet and Greet. And we had Melissa Peterman and Teresa Gantel and Daniel Gaither and... Um, just a great group, and Judith Chapman and Brendan Robinson, as you know. And then we have the big reading this Saturday with the Wendy Malick, Golden Globe and Emmy nominee. Um, and, I love her. And, oh, my God. she She's not only a brilliant actor, but she is so fun to hang out with, I have to tell you. And to just talk, because we're both kind of political junkies, and we could just go on for hours about that. Uh, but Andrea Bowen from Desperate Housewives and, and the great Todd Sherry from Parks and Rec and, and Josh Zuckerman from 90210. And it's just a great cast. And uh, it's a, just a funny play, a circumcision comedy, we call it, but also gets into faith and why we, you know, follow certain rules of faith. And um, and I think it's just important that for people to be have a chance to just really laugh and um, let go right now. And so I'm hoping people go to Play Per View uh, this Saturday at uh, 2 o'clock Pacific Standard Time and 5 o'clock uh, East Coast Time. And it's all a benefit for Save the Children. And one of my producers, Stephanie Von Huben, uh, chose that because the play is about having a baby, babies, and we wanted to uh, support a group that you know, took care of children during this COVID season. Well, you always have some kind of a a social or an activist um, bent towards all your work, and that's one of the things I think everyone appreciates so much. But whether well, it's, two of the uh, shows that were canceled for me in the spring, we were doing a, my Latinx Diary of Anne Frank at the Colony Theater in Burbank for three shows, and that got postponed till next year. And I was also set to do my suicide notes play right before I go um, at Fairfield University in Connecticut. And when the school shut down in March, I couldn't do that. So I'm really hoping we can reschedule. And I was going to do the suicide notes play also in Detroit for a big benefit. And, um, you know, I've been really uh, moving more towards uh, marrying art and advocacy together and through my theater also making people laugh, but also making provoking discussion about important subjects. And, and you've always done that so well. It's one of the things I admire about you the most. It's one of the things when Mom and I saw um, Dear Virginia back then. Um, yeah, so we're supposed about... to do that with, with my cast of Mindy Sterling 
and Arnisha Walker in uh, North Carolina in November. That hasn't been postponed yet, and I, you know, probably will happen any day. But I would love to be able to, you know, so North Carolina, get your numbers down, get those masks on. I want to do my play there and hang out with everybody in North Carolina in November, December. So we we will see what happens with that. That'd be great. What part of North Carolina? Um, I don't know the city. It's at a university. Um, I've, oh, okay. I don't know, actually. Yeah. Very cool. That would be exciting. My brother lives in South Carolina, just over the border, so maybe I'll have yeah, to. Yeah, we that. talked about bringing it there, and then there's also a theater in Winter Haven, Florida, doing that in December. And I just love Mindy Sterling and Arnisha together. And oddly, they both have the same birthday. How crazy is that? And they're just marvelous together. And Arnisha is, well, you know Mindy Sterling from Austin Powers. Uh, she was Frau for Business. Of course. And Arnisha is the only actress that has played every role in the theater production of Dreamgirls. All three of the women, the leads. And how crazy is that? I did not know that about her. I knew <laughs> a lot about her, but I did not know that. That's amazing. Yeah, yes. And together they're just dynamic. And um, so I'm going to keep my fingers crossed. But if for some reason we can't do it this year, we will definitely bring it um, up there next year. Mindy's looking better and better. I saw she had her birthday last month, and just she's always just looks amazing, and I just she love her is, work. Uh, you know, I, she's kind of my muse, and I cast her in a lot of projects, and if I don't cast her, she always complains about it online, and even if it, there's no part for her, she still complains. Um, but she has... <laughs> that's what's so wonderful about doing theater. You really create a family, and she has become part of my right. family, and we would do anything for each other, and I just adore her, and she's really marvelous. What are you doing to keep a routine now? I mean, you're, you're always so busy doing so many people at your house and things like that. How are you keeping yourself active and kind of – are you able to keep any kind of routine? I do. Well, I got into teaching on Zoom. I do my acting classes, but then I got talked into teaching sitcom pilot writing classes, and it started with just one, and now for some reason I'm doing six different Zoom uh, sitcom pilot writing classes with students literally all over the United States and one fantastic writer in Australia, who I believe is listening as we speak. Um, but then I did get in a routine of um, I run in the hills near my house, uh, daily, and um, that's just a way for me to, you know, get the routine. And then I, I kind of meditate in the bathtub, and then I jump in and start doing work, and you know, still writing and zooming and meetings, and you know, working on keeping all my projects, and you know, not too obsessed with uh, cable news, but it keeps dragging me and, and pulling me into watch MSNBC. Right, yeah. I mean, I have. I really wanted to see Joy Reid's new show last night. Oh my God! Prepa- well, prepa- it's a great show, but she has a new wig, and we're so we're so excited about that as well. Uh, I've been a huge <laughs> fan of, of AM Joy, and you know, I thought she was doing the little braid thing to the side, and then all of a sudden, her new show, she's got a whole new look, and I'm uh, I'm going to miss her on the weekends, but I'm I'm very excited to see her during the weekend. She's had amazing guests from Biden to. Uh, Hillary Clinton and uh, Kamala Harris today. Yeah, no, she is an amazing interviewer, and she's so passionate. I really yeah, I'm a big Lawrence O'Donnell fan. 
and so I've really oh, been like into Lord. him. And I really I'm loved what he was saying yesterday about the Chris Wallace interviews. And, you know, it's been very upsetting to me to see everyone kind of, you know, wanting to hand him, you know, a Nobel Prize for journalism. And But he didn't really, you know, a couple of times he did question uh, him, but he needed to jump on things a little bit more and not let him ramble on of all those lies. And, you know, we have to keep right. people accountable, especially the media. No, very true. And uh, it's he's he's the only one at Fox that will kind of give him some hardball questions. Not there have been a few there have been a few others. Um, you know, but just ask honest questions and get answers. That's you know, that's their job and you know, right. if you can't handle answering it then, you know, maybe you don't belong in politics, you know, whatever side you're on. That's that's part of, you know, working in that profession. Right. I just uh I just hate pandering and now all of a sudden uh forty five is pandering about wearing the mask and everything and just it doesn't surprise me but it just uh I get so frustrated. Just so frustrated. Uh, yeah, I mean it, it's it's so late in the game and I just like I keep thinking, can you imagine if he had just said in March, like everyone just put it on. We can get the economy exactly. back. We just put it on now and save lives. And why somebody wouldn't do that, I just don't know. And that they made it so political. And this sending these people out into Portland and throwing them into unmarked cars, that's very upsetting. And, again, it's, it's, it's um, causing a divide in this country when we really need where, – where do we – can we find the – where do we merge and where do we agree and we can, you know, make a better world and come together and really, you know, solve this and, and – and, and, be healthy about it all. Exactly. Now, hopefully, I mean, we have a hundred days. I'm thinking I, I I put it out on social media today. I'm kind of looking to start a political show. Um, for I the saw that. I was like, days. oh, I should apply for that. And it's like, oh, he wants how many days a week? You and you can I, come on once a week <laughs> or so and come and give your two cents. I would love to have you on. And then I'm going to get in trouble. I actually had on. Um, some Golden Girl site, someone said, you know, I was going to follow you, but then I saw you were so political. And I commented back that, like, uh, being against racism or equal rights is not political. That's human right. rights. It's being sensitive about other people. There's no – certain issues, there's no two sides. And I'm sorry, but there's no two sides to racism or, or homophobia. It's, you know, let's all care about each other. Exactly. Well said. Right. Exactly. And that's what I want to do. I mean, we're, I think Sunday is exactly 100 days till the election day. And oh, so I want to start a little show, I think, on Monday, counting down the 100 days, probably five days a week, maybe once a week, but probably five days a week. Because I just think it's important that we really start highlighting everything that's going on right now and mm-hmm. make sure that we are moving forward because we can't. And there's a lot being thrown at us every day, and it's very easy to get exhausted by it or complacent and you know, if you feel right. that way, feel it for a little bit, but you cannot let go. We've got to be vigilant, and, and however you vote, like, get out there. You know, we, you know, it's important to have our voices heard. Exactly. Well, talk about um, what are you seeing? I mean, you're so prolific in your television writing. Where do you see TV going? We've talked about theater um, I see some things are coming back together. Web series are starting up again. 
Yeah, um, but things. network television hasn't quite come up. Uh, Jim and I are working on actually a COVID-friendly comedy that could be filmed remotely. Um, you know, so wanting to be creative in this time, obviously there's not going to be studio audiences shows. Um, I mean, again, none of us know where this is going to lead or when we're going to be able to go back to some kind of normalcy. And I think that's right. what's so upsetting for people uh, like me in the in the creative community is the not knowing. And especially for someone like me that I, I'm such a planner, but it's accepting the not knowing but still keeping moving forward in some way. Right. And people are adapting well. I mean, I, I think that uh, the technology is starting to keep up. People are starting to do The thing I like about it the most, and I talked about it earlier and I've talked about it in a couple interviews, is just the authenticity of people now streaming out of their homes, right? You have well, you know, you are, are getting um, in touch and seeing people, and that's what's so been so great when I've you know, going to the Gilmore Girls Fan Festival or the Golden Girls Fan Cruises. Back when I was writing those shows, and especially Golden Girls, there was no way for us to meet fans. And suddenly now right. I'm friends with them, and I got to hang out with them. And and it, I think it's wonderful. And, you know, it's funny when, you know, some people are like, oh, I don't want to bother you. It's like, no, this is really cool for me to hear what affected you or why you laughed at something or why it meant something to you or a shared experience that you had, you know, with your grandmother way back when and making me feel like a thousand years old. But um, it's still, (laughs) it's so wonderful to be able to connect in this world. So I, I think all of this is, is very positive that, that, um, you know, it's feeling more like one world and we're more connected. Right. Speaking of Gilmore Girls, did you know that Lauren was a singer? Did she sing on set ever? I mean, I'm loving her so Lauren much. Lauren Graham? Yeah. Of course I knew. When she, she, you know, she did Guys and Dolls on Broadway. I remember sending her flowers because I unfortunately couldn't get there to see it. I was so excited for her. I knew that that was like a big deal for her. And, um, I mean, she she can do everything, and she's just so funny and fantastic. And, uh, again, just a cool person, just you just want to like hang out with her as much as you can. She's just really one of the good people. I love her on that show so much. You don't understand. It's one of my favorite shows now. And Gilmore I just, Girls? No, well, no, you always do Gilmore Girls, but she's on Zoe now, though, doing her singing. She's on Zoe every week. And, up a storm and, and oddly, today is the anniversary of the death of Edward Herman from Gilmore Girls, but um, also Herb Edelman, who plays Stanley's Bornack on, on Golden Girls. So, very odd that they both died on the same day today. So we, we we honor them and, of course, Stanley, because, hi, it's me, Stan. And I think Lauren is, isn't she double booked right now? Doesn't she have another series maybe coming up? Because that was one of the things they were worried for Zoe's season two. They did get she picked had up. Project. Yeah. Right, and but she has another uh, project and- that was booked, right? Uh, I know they got picked up for another season, and I also know Andrew Leeds, who plays the brother Zoe on that. He was on a Bravo reality show that he did called Situation Comedy. He was one of the contestants that um, actually won, and uh, we've remained friends, and I'm I'm very excited that he's on that show. Nice. It's a, it's a fantastic cast. Mary Steenburgen, they've all done amazing. So yeah. I oh, my God. I remember I actually told Mary Steenburgen that she was going to win an Oscar. So I was working at the Roundabout Theater. I won't even say what 
I was like a child working in the box office, <laughs> and she was married at the time to Malcolm McDowell. Um, right. And she said, um, "I'm having this screening of this little movie. It's called Melvin and Howard, and we thought we'd invite all the you know staff there." And I saw it, and then the next day she called in at the box office, and I was just a little kid then. And um, I was like, I hope I'm not, like, overstepping, but I said, you were so fantastic in the movie. I think you're going to win an Oscar. You know, cut to, she wins an Oscar. Not that I predicted it, but um, there was just something about that performance. She just, you could just, she just lit up the screen, and and she was, you know, just a a really wonderful performance. And, you know, there's certain... Performances like that that just like you can just tell this person has is having their moment that can right. propel them into you know just a whole other stratosphere and, and that was hers. No, and she is so good. She is so. Is that, good. A, is that a good enough story for Tammy? I'm like worried that Tammy wants more dirt. I know we got to. We haven't. That's not dirt yet. That's just good inside story. That's I don't just know if like a little yet. story. I know, Tammy. We should do an after hours <laughs> drink. I know, there but I'm worried about uh, about Harry. What about right Harry now? Lopez? Should you be at a writer's retreat drinking French wine right about now? I was supposed to be in a castle outside of Paris uh, for two back-to-back weeks of mentoring writers, uh, the Rocco Berti uh, Writers Workshop up there. So we're, we are doing it next year in July. So I'm hoping that you know the world is safe and. And I think there may be a spot or two uh, mentoring with me. So if you want to drink wine and hang out at a castle, you know, let me know. There you go. I like it. Very cool. What are you binging on now with all this free time at home? Are you watching anything that you weren't? Uh, I just got into Unorthodox. Uh, I'm a big Netflix person, so I did that. And then uh, someone feed Phil. So I'm watching that. You know, Phil Rosenthal from Everybody's Raymond goes to all these countries and then he eats all these carbs. All I'm thinking is, like, you're eating carbs again. And I'm like, oh, my God, how do you stay so thin? I want to I wanna kill him. You know, we're, we're both Jews, and we both bloat. So I, I'm, very, I'm very upset with him. My friend was so excited when Cantor's opened again on, uh, on Fairfax there. Yeah, I gained um, 10 pounds just driving by that restaurant. <laughs> it's so good. I used to love going there. Oh, my goodness. Well, you will. You will next time you're here. I will. I'm going to be. I think we're going to try to come in November. So I don't know if I'm going to do shows and everything then. But my brother's like you know is the Ventura County Sheriff out there still. So we're thinking I'm going to have um, Thanksgiving out there this year. So we'll see what happens. Oh, nice. Maybe. Well, hopefully I'll have a little play that um, you can come see at the beginning of November. I'm hoping you always have something cooking there. I'm just hoping you're in town. I never know if you're going to be in town with your plays or not. Yeah, uh, hopefully I will be here for that, and then hopefully going to New York for Thanksgiving to be with my family. Nice, nice, nice. I like that. And what is happening with your friend, uh, my my boyfriend, Michael Yuri? Anything exciting <laughs> coming up with him? Um. Well, I. I'm not, I can't say yet. That's just we're so close to it, saying something, but we are working on something together. And um, you know, he just did the Pride plays in New York and did a beautiful job producing that. But um, right. yeah, I, I yeah I can't give you the scoop on that yet. And I'm not done with the the Ciroc vodka to actually spill the beans. But we are we are cooking Tammy. something up. 
We needed it about an cool. hour earlier, Tammy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you get me in ten more minutes, and I'll 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 tell you that. But it, it it's gonna <laughs> people are gonna be very are gonna be very excited to hear what uh, how I pulled them into a project of mine, and maybe you all nice. can guess which one. But um, I, I will leave, I will leave it at that. How about it? How about it? That's a good tease. I like. It that is a good tease. tease. I'm sure people can figure it out, but uh, exactly what we're doing with it. Um, yeah, we will let you know as as soon as I can tell you. All right. Well, let's wrap up with with a uh, a repeat of some of the greatest hits that we're hopefully coming back. We're going to hopefully have uh, Anne Frank with Wilson, with uh, Wilson Cruz and everything coming back eventually, right? Uh, yeah, she's one of the producers on my Latinx Diary of Anne Frank. Nice. And then, of course, we're going to have this Saturday, you guys, you need to get tickets for this show. The amazing Wendy Malik, Andrea Bowman, Josh Zuckerman, and Todd Sherry, Knife to the Heart, Proceeds to Save the Children.org. This Saturday, July 25th, 2 o'clock yes, Pacific to, time, 5 o'clock Eastern time. Thank you for doing things early for my East Coast old age. I appreciate that so much. Okay. <laughs> uh, thank you for having me on, and uh, send uh, my regards to Harry. I will definitely do that. You stay on the line for me. Zoe's okay. going to get ready to play our interview with Mr. Harry Lopez. will be coming up in just a few moments. Do you know Harry, Stan? Uh, we're getting to. We're we're sexting right now. I'm just kidding. Okay. We're gonna. Well, he lives in L.A. He's in Miami right now, but oh, he's going to have to be a producer of your play. So we're going to have to get you guys okay. together. He does amazing stuff for the Latinx community. So it's all yeah, about hooking does. Stanley. And he's single, so that's better yet than some of the other ones. Yeah. There. there we go. But he's an amazing young man, and he'll be up on the other side of this. You're listening to the Left of Straight show right here on the Left of Straight radio network. Somebody somewhere has got a long road to haul. Somebody somewhere has got a mind to give it all. Lord, won't you make that someone hopeful? Won't you make them strong? Cause we all gotta stumble before we stand and talk. And I know that it ain't easy, but there's a thrill in the fact. If you know where you're going, no, then keep your eye on the prize. Lord, your ship is in the harbor, y'all. Don't you doubt that your call. Hey, Oh, and I got this feeling 
wow, this this is such a this is so present for me right now. Um, and I'm not sure. Do you also identify as an empath, Scott? What's that? Do you also identify as an empath yourself? I do. I I, I have. I I don't. Um, I don't feel like I have it regularly, but I definitely get strong vibes quite a few um, times from different people. So yes. Yeah, I'm I'm very sensitive to vibrations. Uh, very sensitive to energy, and I, I've I found a lot of difficulty during this time just navigating um, the the waves of you know COVID, um, Black Lives Matter, you know shootings, mm-hmm. the, the the marches, everything that's been going on in the world, um, immigration, DACA. Um, I've just been really deeply impacted by a lot of it because it's it's felt very close to home for me. Um, I'm so thankful for the work that I've done over the last couple of years as a, as, as a transformational coach. My work is really rooted in the mind. And so one of my most, um, one of my favorite self-care tools is, is really presencing with my thoughts, being with my thoughts, collecting mm-hmm. them during the day, during, during tough, stressful moments where I feel like I'm contracting, where I feel like I'm maybe swirling into, into a negative like pitfalls or holes I'll I'll just sit with my thoughts in stillness and open up my open up my mind and create and create spaciousness where I'm able to hear what what's coming up for me, and I, and I love how you said the word negotiate because it often feels like I'm negotiating with the ego. So you know, often mm. one of my self care practices is to wake up early, and oftentimes the ego's resistance is like, no, sleep in. There's why why wake up early? Why do these things? It doesn't matter. And so I find myself right. to really presence the thoughts, the stories, not try to avoid them, not try to not try to criticize them or judge them, but just see what they want for me. And typically they just want to keep me safe. They think that they want what's best for me, but they don't actually know what's best for me. And so in those moments, I can say thank you. Thank you to those thoughts. Thank you to the part of me that wants to play small and choose a different route, choose a different way. And I like to ask myself, what is in alignment with my with my highest mission, with my greatest mission on this world, in this world, in this planet? And if it's not in alignment with that, I won't follow it. Um, and so that's just one example of that. But other things that I've really leaned on during this time of just negotiating with everything that's been coming up is um, mindfulness, meditation. And it doesn't have to be for a long time. And it doesn't have to, you don't sit around for like hours meditating every day. Sometimes it's just a quick right. five minutes just really presencing the stories and the thoughts and just seeing beyond the limitations of the mind. Like when you meditate, you're able to slow everything down and take dominion over the mind, take your power back. Um, That's been a really, really powerful tool practice for me. Another one has been cold showers. I I really love cold showers, especially lately in Miami. Um, I don't know what it's like in in Ohio, but it's incredibly hot down here. And so I go rollerblading. I'll go rollerblading outside, which has been, which has become one of my newest obsessions. <laughs> and I'll get in the shower and I'll just, I'll blast it ice cold. Um, and at first, of course, it's quite jarring, but then it's, it, there's this just very therapeutic healing aspect to the water, to the coldness. Um, and I feel that any, any, ish, any problems or any stresses that I had prior to, to the shower will just melt away. Um, after that cold shower. Um, and I've got a couple other practices that I've been leaning on and, and really using and, and practicing during this time, but those would be the main ones, just mindfulness, stillness, 
um, slowing everything down, um, those cold showers, and, and just following the aliveness, following my joy and my mm. bliss. Whatever it is that brings me joy, whatever it is that brings me bliss, I, I want more of that in my life. Just really giving myself the permission to double down on those things that I really love that light me up. Um, like spending time with my mom is something that really that en- enlivens me. It fills me up. Um, drinking a nice cup of matcha tea in the morning really lights me up. Um, lately, creating TikTok videos where I'm dancing with my little brother. Um, that's <laughs> been fun. And and just spending time with clients, you know. Um, but I but also I, I um, so yeah, that's that's been a little bit about what what I've been leaning on. Oh, I appreciate you sharing that. And that's such great tips to really kind of, as you say, when you're negotiating what's going on and feeling things so deeply, it's great to have those tools. So thank you for sharing that. Let's go into your background a bit because it kind of ties in. I want to find out about where you grew up and what kind of a kid were you. But I know you practice martial arts. Did that kind of start you on this path to really being able to center yourself and calm your thoughts down a bit. Oh my goodness. How did you know this about martial arts? I know everything. <laughs> I'm, I'm Mr. Research, Mr. Harry Lopez. I know it wow. all. <laughs> oh my goodness. That's so, I didn't even know that. Wow. That's so amazing. Yeah. I grew up in martial arts. My, my childhood, you know, when I was, I think I was like nine. I, when I eight, I was eight years old when I started karate, I started Taekwondo and my older brother and I, we we both enlist enrolled together because we were very overweight in in elementary school, and we were both getting picked on, and we wanted to do something to get in shape, um, get discipline. It wasn't something that my parents wanted. It was something that we really wanted after seeing a presentation, like one of those really incredible ninja demonstrations at our school. So I did taekwondo <laughs> from the age of eight till. Uh, gosh, pretty much my whole life. I haven't practiced in the last couple of years, just the last two or three years, but I I became a third degree black belt. I became a 2004 world champion. I was competing. uh, I was competing a lot. I was fighting and I was going to champ classes. My mom would pick me up from school and middle school um, early on Wednesdays and I'd go train in this really intense class. And um, that, you know, it's really interesting. I hadn't made that connection, but that was totally martial arts is mindfulness it's presence right it's, um it's it's competitive you're competing against yourself your it's incredible mindset skills and uh gosh i hadn't thought of it but i think that that my experience as a martial artist has has shaped so much of who i am and i'm so thankful for it and one one last thing i'll say about that is as a martial artist i always had coaches i always had teachers that were training me mm. that were supporting me and I I love that about it and you know my background my parents are immigrants from Nicaragua um my parents didn't go to school here they didn't go to college they you know they didn't have a lot of the experiences that I that I would have you know wanted to be mentored on <laughs> uh, so I <laughs> often sought out others like other leaders and, and mentors and people to support me in those things and oftentimes it was you know my karate mentors or I was in boy scouts or my boy scout teach leaders would do that and then when I grew up it was like where are my mentors where are my leaders so I often sought them out with coaches um but I could go into that but that would go into another tangent (laughs) 
That's all right. So, yeah, we'll that's get back to that because, and I did what that was actually my second question because I did see you were Boy Scouts and talk about you're such a giving person to others. You actually got your Eagle Scout. What was that project to get that? Oh my goodness! How did you know this? <laughs> oh my goodness! What? <laughs> you're stalking me. <laughs> it's okay. I'm a I don't fan. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah, gosh, yeah, Boy Scouts was a huge part of my life growing up. My dad in Nicaragua was a Boy Scout. He remembers camping in prisons. Like they would, they would take the in in Nicaragua, they would uh, camp out at prisons overnight. It was he's, he has incredible stories, and he would swim wow. uh, the the lagoons, the huge lakes uh, from in between mountains. And I remember when he would take me to Nicaragua as a kid. We, he would take me and we would, he taught me how to swim and we would, I, I learned how to swim in the, in the lakes and the huge lagoons in, in Nicaragua in between these huge mountains in Masaya and Montelimar. Um, and my dad had all these stories. So, you know, naturally when we were little, um, we were, we were enrolled into Boy Scouts as well. And again, it wasn't because of my parents. It was because my brother and I my brother is just one year older than me. We got another demo from, they came into our classroom in elementary school and we really wanted to be Boy Scouts. And so we joined the Cub Scouts <laughs> and um, I, I started off as a, I don't know, was it a wolf or tiger? My brother started off as a bear or something. And then we went all the way. My brother's a Boy Scout, an Eagle Scout. My dad's an Eagle Scout. I'm an Eagle Scout. I didn't want to continue. I thought it was a burden after a while. Um, but when I was, you know, you have until you're 18 years old to get your Eagle Scout, your um, right. the, the badge. And for me, it was this constant, um, I just had to be perfect always as a kid. And mm. it was this false identity that I had created because I didn't want the world, my family, anybody to know this deep underlying feeling of unworthiness, of not being, not being right not being enough, not being um, okay. And so I overcompensated with accolades and achievement, you know, Boy mm-hmm. Eagle Scout, uh, world champion, black belt, you know, in high school, I was first in my class. You know, there was always this pressure that I put on myself to be perfect because if I was perfect, then I would be loved. And if I was mm-hmm. loved, I'd be accepted. And I was constantly outsourcing and externalizing and seeking and fishing for that love with a lot of hard work. And so when I think of my childhood, I think of a lot of hard work. I think of a lot of, like, I didn't, I didn't party very much. I didn't, never did drugs or al- like alcohol. I didn't, I was just like a good kid. I was just very into wearing this mask always, deeply wearing a mm. mask. And I had to do a lot of healing about all of that over the next couple of years. It was a lot. It was a huge journey, and it's still it's still a struggle for me. Um, but yeah, Boy Scouts. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, I appreciate you sharing that, and I do want to go briefly this because you were so open this past late June, early July of Pride Month, and sharing some of those personal stories of not really having that confidence in yourself. And I think that really helps others who see people that are like you, that are doing such great things for a community and thinking that you have it all, but we all have these insecurities. Talk about just briefly on your coming out journey. When did you come out to yourself and when did you kind of first find your LGBTQ tribe 
that made you feel part of a community? Ooh, this is so good. Very juicy. You know, uh, when I'm asked when I came out, I don't really I don't really know what to say because in many ways I didn't I don't think I ever really needed to come out. It was just like a oh, here I am. Like it's just it was just kind of a known kind of a thing. And it was sure. in college really where it was in college. I went to school in Nashville, Tennessee in the south and I became friends with a couple of like this community of, oh, I was in the theater. I was in theater, and I made a friend. And then we all started just hanging out in the dorms, and we all started going out on <laughs> – this is so much information. I've never shared this before. <laughs> we all started going out to the, the, one, the one gay club in Nashville called Play, and it was so much fun. We would go every Wednesday for college night. And I just tagged along. I just I would just go, and no one asked me anything. And there were drag shows, and there was um, just incredible dance music. And I would I just I started going on Wednesdays with no there was no cover on on Wednesday nights. And that you didn't have to pay anything. Um, and I would just start dancing and loving on it. And for me, I was I was still very innocent at the time, like incredibly innocent. Um, where I would really just go and dance. I wasn't about meeting anyone or, you know, dating or anything like that. I didn't have a serious, I didn't have my very first serious relationship until many, many years after, after I was in college. So mid twenties actually. Um, yeah. So it was, it was then that I started kind of developing my, more of my identity as a gay man. And, I just found it as so incredibly liberating where I just felt free. Um, so if I was to say when was it that I came out to myself, I don't even know. I don't know when it was. Maybe it was when I went to college. Maybe it was during those when I started dancing and going out those nights and I felt free and so fully myself and accepted and I felt very safe in that environment. Um, what was the second part to your question? Just kind of when you when you found an LGBTQ tribe to relate to, because a lot of us are kind of lonely in that period. But it sounds like college was all of that for you. So yeah, kind of kind of the same oh thing. Gosh. When did you kind of find a tribe to to really have people to talk to about? Yeah, I think it was in I think it was in college in Nashville where I I started developing that tribe of of support. Um, you know, I was I was a theater major. I had a lot of friends in the theater program within the theater program and outside of the theater program, I just started, you know, everything is vibration. So we just started attracting each other just naturally and energetically. Right. And it was, it was very, it was very loving and very supportive, even despite being in the, in Nashville and in the, in the Bible belt South. Um, I, you know, it was beautiful because I was, I felt like I was establishing, you know, my gay identity in, and also d- developing a tribe, but I was also deepening in my spirituality at the time. Where I was, I would go to church and I would, I would, you know, worship. I would like praise and I would sing and I would would do my prayers and I would deepen in compassion. And of course, with that being in the South, there were moments. There were moments where I felt alienated and estranged from the church, or I didn't feel like I was worth. Right. I didn't feel like I was right. Um, but that was that was stuff that I, I I sifted through and worked on, and I'm you know. I still have my stuff around Nashville and what, you know, some experiences I experienced there, but that was the beginning of my, my journey as into spirituality was in, in Nashville. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Very nice. 
Well, let's get to as you start to find your career. I mean, you got your master's in education. I remember you saying that you kind of had a mentor there while you were doing your first teaching that kind of got you the idea of how important that was. Talk about your early mentors, how they shaped you and kind of led you to that realization, how important mentors and teachers and coaches are. Ooh, yes. So I received my master's with um, Teach for America. So I was um, affiliated with Teach for America at the time, working for them on staff. I'm sorry, I was in, I was a 2012 Teach for America core member in Nashville. And part of the program was that you would be teaching, you would start teaching kids, and you would also be getting, you had the opportunity to get your master's at the same time. And so I received my master's from Lipscomb in elementary education. And then I went off to, I started on the EDD track, basically for the, the doctorate of education. So I started taking um, courses in adult facilitation, the mind, leadership and education, um, just deepening more into the world of, in that world. I quickly realized that that wasn't the path that I wanted to go into. I very quickly burned out working in education um, uh, both as a teacher and as a coach, there was tremendous responsibilities. Um, and there was a lot of, of testing and a lot of pressure and I was getting really sick. I was having a lot of health complications while I was teaching. And it was really mm-hmm. sad for me because I love kids. And I love, I love children and I love the work that I was doing. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't sustainable for me health wise. I was really afraid. So I, I was in the ER twice because of different health complications um, mm. And so that actually ended up accruing a lot of hospital bills for me, which I wasn't able to pay off for a couple of years because of the, the salary that I was receiving working in education. And then I, I went off into working in a, in, as a teacher coach. So I was a manager of teacher leadership development, working with a, a client roster of 30 teachers, 15 different schools. And so that was my first year as a teacher coach, and it was a, a tremendous responsibility as well. And that was, for me, the very first time that I started witnessing the realities of, of systemic racism in our country, of institutional mm. racism, and how it trickled down to kids. And for me, working with, in my classroom, I worked in a, in a predominantly immigrant refugee population. And so I saw students with all different backgrounds. As a teacher coach, I worked in predominantly African-American black communities with black students and um, classrooms and, and schools, most, uh, almost 90, 95 to 99% black students with white teachers that I was supporting, which ended up creating tremendous friction. So I would go into classrooms where, where fights would break out every single day. The chairs were being thrown at teachers. My teachers were having tremendous stress. And I was, that was the first time that I had, I first started seeing a therapist myself. And then I encouraged my teachers, the teachers I was supporting, to also go seek mental health support as well. But that year working as a teacher coach was my, was my introduction to coaching. That was the year that I, I was both coaching teachers, but also on Tuesdays, I was going to school for coaching through the, it was a results coaching program through the International Coaching Federation. And so myself mm-hmm. and other uh, teacher coaches, we were sitting, we were sitting in a classroom for um, hours, every, once a week for 10 months, just learning the fundamental tools of listening, of deep transformational coaching, of getting people from A to Z as quickly as possible. And so that is what I fell in love with that year. I fell in love with the, 
the, what I saw what could transform people's lives. I fell in love with the practice of learning how to deeply listen. And I fell in love with being able to support people by just providing a mirror and a support for them to stand in their greatness. And that's what that's basically what turned on the red the, the green light for me, the switch for me. And after that year, I went on this journey for the next couple of years, investing in myself, like actually paying big money to work with healers, light like light workers, life coaches, leadership coaches, business coaches, shamans. Um, you know, and I, I just wanted to learn and delve into the practices as much as possible because I was invigorated by it. And the more that I studied from, by, from different coaches, the more tools I learned, the more I was able to rewrite patterns, conditioned programming, wounds, and, and, and suffering that I had experienced as a child that I didn't even know was something that was holding me back. Every single day, every time I meditate, every time I go into the stories and the, and the blockages, I'm able to pinpoint and decipher new wounds and new things that still mm. have been unaddressed. Wow. There's a saying, hysterical is historical. And so if there's something that's, if there's, a, if there's a pattern that's coming up for you, if there's a way of being that's out of the ordinary, it's oftentimes historical. It's, it's from childhood, something that's been, that, was, that has gone unaddressed. And so for me, the task was to do the inner work, the mindset work, the healing, the forgiveness and compassion work, and to, to do it in a way that was for me, and my journey was in a very in spiritual context of life. Um, and I had done a lot of very kind of businessy programs. Um, I had done this, you know, social impact program. I had done startup programs. I was working in tech. And I thought that that would be the route for me. And everything kind of felt very black and white. It felt very, mm. it felt very meaningless. Like it didn't feel like it was really touching my soul until I stepped into the world of transformation and consciousness. And not even, I want to, I want to really, I want to really capitalize on that on, in, in consciousness because the work of life coaching and what I've experienced traditionally it, it didn't deepen into, the, into my experience of spirituality and consciousness. I had to seek that out. You know, co- life coaching is really, you know, let's, let's help you set goals and get you there and accountability and support. The style that I've been introduced to is, you know, my mentors had backgrounds as therapists, as spiritual psychologists, you know, shaman. They've, they've studied shamanism. They've studied right. uh, energy work. P- those practices have been what has taken, I think, my practice to the next level. Because it's not just it's not just life coaching. It's really so much more. Um, and I don't call myself a therapist, but oftentimes I bring in tools of psychotherapy into my practice that I, I just know will support my clients. I just know that, that it will help them um, get into momentum. Because there's only so much there's only so much growth that you can have if you're just seeking it from an external kind of um, right. outward lens. We've got to go in deep to the inner inner self to uncover what are the blockages, what are the things that are holding you back, and not to get rid of them, because the, the truth is that they're always going to they're always going to continuously come up. It's more about how to be with them when they do come up. How do you be with self doubt when it comes up, unworthiness? How do you be with perfectionism and comparison, the inner critic when you think that you're not good enough, that you have nothing to offer to the world? You know, just being with those stories. And they're just seeing them as stories of the mind, not truths. And so 
that's a very long-winded response, but that's been that's been my journey. And the mentors that I've worked with have basically substituted for me the um, you know my karate teachers, my Boy Scout mentors, my parents. You know, so I ha- I wanted to seek that out for myself. Well, it's a very powerful story, and I appreciate you sharing with it. You have such an ease of sharing that I think that's what helps as well. I mean, I've been listening to a lot of your lives. You've been doing some great live streams during quarantine, and I really enjoy that you're, you use things that you've learned to care for others. Who takes care of Harry? I mean, you have a great team behind you. Who do you who do, who's, how's your back? Ooh, do you mean – uh, professionally or both personally and professionally in, in general just personally professionally i mean you're doing so much for others talk about how you mm. who who props harry up who keeps you running and feeling good about yourself oh what a beautiful question this is so good i um <sighs> there's been a lot of there's been a lot of really important people in my life um accountability buddies are really powerful for me I have two accountability buddies right now. One is in Australia, one is in Colorado, and I check in with my accountability buddy from Colorado every day, twice a day, once in the morning, once at night, via voice note. We just check in on how we're doing, both personally and work-wise, what are our goals, what we want to get accomplished. That, That support, that feeling of not being alone is really powerful for me. I'm personally in a mastermind myself. I'm in a coaching program with my coaches from there in Australia. They're really phenomenal. Um, they're all just going to the, like, we're just reaching these phenomenal goals in their lives and their businesses. So I feel really supported in, in there. And it's not just a business program. It's really internal as well. Um, right. For this month, I have, a, I have my own life coach as well, which, is, which has been really powerful. You know, I really lean on my mom. My mom has been such a constant rock in my life and such a, such a consistent support and, and mm, sense love of support and source of love. And, um, and friends, you know, just checking in with friends, feeling connected on, online. Instagram has been a, a really beautiful way of feeling connected. But who else is taking care of me? I, I realize that I've got to do that. I've really got to take care of me more than the more you're showing up in the world, the more your self-care, the deeper your self-care should be. And so for me, it's, it's really about me learning to reparent myself, to, to, nur- to nurture myself, to mother, to father myself, to give myself everything that I think that I need, that I, everything that I want others to give to me. I know that I've got to do the work of consciousness and transformation is really about giving it to myself first. So really, if I feel like I need to be held, holding myself, like actually giving myself a hug, if I feel mm-hmm. like I need to cry and release, like actually just allowing it to happen and crying with no judgment, just feeling what that's like and sourcing from within is is the most powerful way. So, so yeah. I love that. Well, yeah. no, it sounds great and powerful. And I think you just shared how important that is, that we all need that. Um, including yourself, who's very successful, and for those of us that want to be successful. And talk about that. I mean, you're so good at sharing these gifts with others. You've done this amazing uh, thing for your Latinx community. You also do a financial freedom guide. Talk about what inspires you to help inspire others. That's got to be very rewarding. Mm, the reason for living is giving. Um, I don't know who said that, but... 
I just think that my purpose here is not to be a coach, not to be an online course creator, not to be an entertainer. I find that my purpose and my mission here is to teach, to be an educator. And there's no, there's nothing in the world that brings me more aliveness, joy, um, sense of purpose than educating and teaching what I know and what I've learned. I love being that teacher figure, and it goes back to my experience as a teacher. Um, even in, in Boy Scouts, I was the, I was a senior patrol leader, and I loved mentoring and teaching, and um, that brings up service, that deepening of service, that level of service. Um, is incredibly fulfilling for me and so that's what i that's what i follow and i think that i think that's a, it's important and it's, it's what really grounds me whenever i'm feeling down whenever i'm feeling low i just start connecting you know um i start right. serving i start i'll start i'll get on social media and i'll write a post or i'll do an instagram live or i'll do i don't know i'll do a tiktok and all of that is service you're just you're serving through all of that so um what gets me, what keeps, keeps me doing that work? Uh, the feeling of, you know, with kids, when I would teach kids, it was like that, that when they would have an aha moment, that um, seeing the breakthroughs that could happen in people's lives, um, right. I really appreciate. And also another thing I'll awesome. say there is, yeah, I, I also don't, another motivator for me is I don't want people to suffer in the ways that I suffered, you know? If I can, if I can support somebody in finding their freedom, finding their joy and to not and to not feel the the pain that I felt for so long growing up of not feeling enough, not feeling like I mattered, feeling like I had to hide so much of myself. I want right. that for somebody else. I want that for them. That is awesome. Well, let's start to wrap it up. I want to talk about how you've been able to use this time here during quarantine because a lot of your stuff is done virtually already, so you were kind of ahead of the game. But talk about how important this kind of new new way we're doing things here is and how you've kind of found it in your business model. You've always been a great speaker going all over the world. Um, You've always done two classes. How do you find this? Uh, new world kind of changing what you want to do for others and where do you see yourself going forward here a bit? Have you learned anything new you want to try as we start to slowly emerge out of the pandemic? Mm. Yeah, I um, I think entrepreneurship is, is like on the rise right now more than ever before. People have right. more time because they're just stuck at home. They don't have those commutes. They're online even more. They've got they've had these ideas for a long time, so they're they're finding ways to finally make it happen. So I think that's been really powerful for me. Um, it was for me. It was continuing to do the same things I was doing with my online business. Uh, I run an accelerator group for for entrepreneurs and coaches, and for me, this time has been about doubling down and focusing and doing those actions that I know will take my business to the next level. So it's been about recording content, internal content for my clients, um, uh, streamlining processes and systems, um, being unafraid to get on video and to share and to serve through that. Uh, for people for people that are, le- that are watching or that are tuning in and listening, I think um, I think it's an opportunity to, to stretch our creativity muscles 
in ways in which we've never done before, to maybe adopt a new platform, to maybe adopt a new skill or a new interest. Um, Or for some people, it's an opportunity to really finally slow down, to to come within, to, to go within, to observe what are their patterns that have been playing out for so long. And so I know that there's a rise in people seeking therapy right now. So I know that that's that's really powerful. That's a beautiful option for people that are seeking self-healing and, and mental health support. Um, as far as digitally and innovative innovation-wise, um, I think collaborations are are huge right now. You know, in the beginning of right. COVID, I I remember in one week I had about about what is it six, seven or seven or eight podcast requests in just one week. And so just collaborating, I think it's an opportunity to say yes more to more virtual digital things that maybe beforehand you would have been more opposed to. Um, I think it's an opportunity to be thinking about growth for entrepreneurs because more leads coming into your business, um, thinking about how you can get more creative about serving. And so for me, it's, you know, I've I've been serving the Latinx community for a very long time and I love the community. Um, So I'm still continuing to serve, but I'm also thinking about how do I, how do I create uh, programming that also serves non-Latinx people, you know, such as you, Scott. Um, And Mm -hmm. so that's, that's another thing I'm thinking about. Um, And I think thought leadership, just expressing yourself through thought leadership is, is really potent right now. And so, yeah, that's a long-winded response as well, but I think, you know, creativity, collaboration, um, and newness, like adopt, like trying out new things. Right. Um, not long-winded at all. It's worth every breath, my friend. I appreciate you sharing all this <laughs> wisdom. Um, talk about it as we wrap up here. You have an amazing website uh, with so many different uh, ways that you can kind of do self-improvement and kind of learn about you and learn about what you do. Let everyone know what three key takeaways maybe you'd like them to learn from you talking with us today, things that they should do to motivate themselves personally, professionally, what three things do you think they they should do? And then give them their, your website so you can help them on that journey. Mm-hmm. Mm, powerful. Okay. Number one, get uncomfortable. Mm, um, like I say that. that because I think, I think people are a little too comfortable today, too, too, um, too comfortable in playing small, too comfortable in hiding, not sharing their voice, maybe just observing and looking on social media in life, get uncomfortable, get a little disruptive and put yourself out there in ways that you've never done before. I think if there's, there's going to, there's medicine in that there's incredible growth and quantum leaps that are wanting to be had in your life. If you're willing to get a little uncomfortable and unreasonable. Um, let's see. Number two, um, movement <laughs> movement creates mm. momentum so if you're feeling stuck if you're feeling like you're there's a lag in your life start just start moving maybe go for a walk maybe maybe go for a run get some rollerblades and go rollerblading um movement uh get yourself moving and if you can go outside and just feel the earth beneath you take off your shoes and feel the earth feel the ground feel really rooted grounded and rooted to earth and create that spaciousness from within so that you can really hear and tune in to the messages of life and just deeply trusting that life is intelligent. Um, Mm. And number three, connect, connect with your loved ones, 
connect to opportunities beyond yourself, connect with yourself and connect with a higher power, connect with a higher being, whatever that looks like for you. It could be your plants, could be God, it could be the universe, it could be energy, spirits, um, and, and, and tap into anything that helps you connect more deeply to yourself. And so for me, it's candles. I love candles and that aroma helps me so much or music helps me to connect back to myself um, and just be very mindful and thoughtful and audit the things that are entering your life. Clean up your space as much as possible. Like actually tidy it up, cleaning up your room, cleaning up your bedroom and an energy of impeccability is going to be very powerful for you as you continue to up level and seek to attract the things that you want in your life. Mm. Harry Lopez, you just you have the looks of a 22-year-old and the wisdom of an 85-year-old. I love everything you're saying, my friend. Thank you very much for sharing. <laughs> it's so been welcome. a great pleasure to have you on. Let people know where they can find you on social media and find your website, my friend. Yes, I am on uh, – my website is www.harrylewislopez.com. Harry, H-A-R-R-Y. Lewis, L-O-U-I-S, Lopez.com. And I'm on Instagram at the, the Harry Lopez, T-H-E, the Harry Lopez. And TikTok, we got to watch your TikTok. You were killing it, my friends. <laughs> yeah, my TikTok videos too. This is so fun. <laughs> I, I'd like to be even more consistent with those. Uh, I've always said I have the face for radio. I've been embarrassed to do it, but I found out you could put videos on TikTok. So I'm just making some fun little videos and putting other content out there. It's a kind of a fun oh, tool, but God. you are killing it, my friend. It's great. Oh, I thank love you, it. Scott. <laughs> thank you so much. It's been All so right. Fun well, stay on the line for there. me. Uh, guys, such a great inspiration. Check out Harry's website. Be sure to follow him on Instagram. I've been doing it for a long time now and learned so much. If you can catch one of his Instagram lives, you can consider yourself luck. We're going to go ahead and play out to a little music here. You're listening to Left of Straight Show right here on the Left of Straight Radio Network. When I 
Sam Harris with changes on the way. Let's hope it is. I am over this COVID stuff, guys. I just want to get out there and have a little time with friends and family. How about you? Well, great show tonight. Thanks so much to our brand new special correspondent, David Reddish uh, from Queerty. Some great insights and entertainment from him today. Of course, our good buddy Stan Zimmerman. We love having Stan on as often as we can. And our brand new friend, Mr. Harry Lopez, such a great speaker, motivator, and success coach, as well as entrepreneur. And of course, we have Han. Han, how was it on your side today? Everything okay in the studio? I can't hear Han. Maybe her phone died on me. And can you hear me? Sorry. Yeah, there you sorry. go. I said it. Yeah, I said everything went really great today. It was very smooth, except for that little bit. There you go. Until we accidentally put our phone on mute, then everything was great. Oh, super. Well, you did fantastic in there. Thank you so much. I appreciate you so much. Anything else you want to talk about before we head out tonight? Uh, I don't think there is anything else that I know of, at least, that there is to talk about. 
All right. Well, we appreciate you all listening. And, of course, you can follow Han and all the rest of the interns on our social media, on Twitter and Instagram. It's at Left of Straight Radio, always spelled L-E-F-T-O-F-S-T-R and the number eight radio. And on Facebook, their Left of Straight Radio um, page. And they're doing the TikTok right now at Left of Straight. And you can follow me always at, at Left of Straight on Twitter and Instagram and the Left of Straight show on Facebook page and Scott Fullerton if you want to send me over a friend request. So you guys have been killing it on the videos. and There's lots of fun content to watch. So there you go. I think we've done it, Han. What about you? Ready to go? Yes. Yeah, I think we did it. Really Let's good. blow this popsicle stand. All right, guys, thanks again for listening. A big shout-out again. Thank you so much, David Reddish, Stan Zimmerman, Harry Lopez. We will see you tomorrow with a brand-new episode. We're here the rest of the week, every night, 6 o'clock Pacific, 9 o'clock Eastern time on tomorrow's Left of Straight show. We always like a little Wednesday pop culture minute with our buddies Josh and Jeff from Nashville, Tennessee, and their J&J Buzz. So they'll have a pop culture minute for us. And I have two brand new great interviews for you. First up tomorrow is Ryan Bayless. Ryan is a director, writer, actor, and foodie out of New York City. He's made some great films. He now does uh, videos for foodies and does, oh, my God, they're so good. They make me my mouth water. And we'll talk to him first. And then up second, we're going to talk to Lindsay Amer. She's a producer, writer, and the founder of Queer Kids Stuff. It's an amazing YouTube channel that uh, kind of teaches LGBTQ stuff to younger kids. And it's not dumbed down in any way, but it's very respectful and not over their heads and not too much that, uh, not graphic at all, but she does, she has her own stuffed bear, Teddy, that uh, is part of all the videos for her. And just teach us some great uh, queer and LGBTQ things to kids um, that makes it kind of safe and palatable at that age. And it's very, very cool. So we're going to have Ryan and Lindsay on tomorrow with Josh and Jeff. So have a good evening, everybody. Hannah and I are out of here. Bye-bye.